John chapter 20, Jesus appearing to his disciples. Pay attention to how Jesus addresses their fears, beginning at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, so it's Sunday evening, the day Jesus rose, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, so the following Sunday, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. The warm California sun greeted Brad as he parked his Volkswagen on the beach and headed out surfing in the early season. A bunch of other surfers thought the same thing, and so he paddled away from the pack as far as he could go, maybe 40 yards or so down Salmon Creek Beach, and he got on his surfboard, and he waited, looking over his shoulders, and he saw it. A beautiful, big, teal wave cresting toward him, and he, his muscles tensed up, and he was ready to start paddling, and he heard a big splash behind him. And just for a second, he looked over his shoulder, and he saw it. About a 14-foot great white shark shadowing in the wave, bearing down upon him. His muscles tensed up in a different kind of way at that moment, and, and panic struck him. He didn't feel his arms and his legs. His senses all of a sudden became very uh, intense. He, could, he looked at the sun, you know, he noticed little things like he looked at the sun glistening off the dorsal fin of the shark, that moist dorsal fin, and he thought for a second, why am I noticing this? He, he could feel the water on his skin like he didn't feel it before, and time seemed to slow down. The wave that could have surfed him to safety passed. And now it was somewhat calm except for the fear in his heart and the shark bearing down. The shark 
came quite quickly at him, but then kind of drifted past his side. And as it came toward him, he, could, he, he remembers thinking that how massive of a beast this is, and he thought, this is longer than my Volkswagen, and it, I'm done. It's, it's going to get me. It started to drift by, and then wham! It, its head came out of the water, and its jaws opened, and it came after his leg dangling in the water off his surfboard, but it happened to kind of, the nose of the shark hit his leg and pushed his leg up instead of chomping on his leg, getting it inside its mouth, and that propelled him off the other side of the surfboard, and so now he splashed on the other side. When the shark realized that, it went into this frenzy and just started sh massively shaking its head back and forth. Water was splashing everywhere, and it was chomping, chomping, chomping as it was slashing its head back and forth, trying to grab some piece of meat, and it missed every time. It swam away. And Brad thought, if he could think at all, what's happening? He was in a state of shock at that moment. Anger replaced fear. And as he's off getting back on his surfboard, he decided, as the, the shark is circling around, he said, all right, time to fight back. And he got his surfboard, and he moved it in a way where it's pointed directly at the shark that was coming right at him again for another direct attack. The shark did. Its nose came out of the water. And Brad jammed the nose of his surfboard into the gills of the shark, direct hit. The shark's head turned just a little bit, and it started thrashing again like it did before, trying to grab whatever made now the shark angry, missing every time. He thought for a moment, I'm still dead. I'm just delaying the inevitable. How long can I keep this up? He thought, how are my kids going to make it without me? He thought, how long will it take my wife to move on without me? And then, and then something happened. He, he, he felt like, I have to get a hold of myself. I, the shark is feeding off of my fear, like a rabid dog. I have to get, a, get control of myself. I, I can make it through this. What do I need to do? And at that moment, his muscles loosened, his vision clarified, his thoughts clarified. And he said, I have to do what I can to try to escape, even if I die trying. He shouted at that moment to the other surfers, not worried about them at all before, SHARK! And they paddled quickly to shore, and he began paddling to shore too, all the while with this understanding and this sense that at any given moment, that shark could come right up behind him, grab his leg, and he'd be a goner. Fear. Would you be afraid in that circumstance? I don't know of a single person who wouldn't. And if they aren't, they should, they should be. Because fear has its appropriate place in our lives. God gave it to us as a feeling, as an emotion, and God has a way of using it, but there's a proper way to use it and an improper way to use it. So we're going to address fear as we talk about this story of Jesus appearing to the disciples. And in the Bible, it says they were locked in this upper room for fear of the Jewish leaders. All of them, including Thomas, were afraid. 
Thomas's doubts stemmed from fear. We're going to look at how, they could, how that could be when they'd already, at least Peter and John, had witnessed Jesus' empty tomb. How can you be afraid when you know that he's alive? But there the disciples were. The, I mean, the, the women had already reported to them that they saw Jesus alive. It was like they were, I don't know, recoiling from being attacked by a shark of Jesus' enemies, worried that this shark was going to kill them too. So can you really blame them for being afraid? Let's look into that a little bit and ask ourselves this first. Has fear ever attacked you? Or do you, or, or do you say... Well, Christians aren't afraid. I, if, if, you, if, if you are not a weak-willed, slow-of-heart, slacking Christian, you're not going to be afraid, like me. Really. So your heart doesn't skip a beat when the car in front of you on I-35 slams on its brakes and you slam on yours, and you're skidding on the slippery pavement without stopping a bit, headed toward the rear bumper, your heart doesn't skip with just one little beat or 17? Or you're in the jet airplane 36,000 feet above the planet, and the turbulence of wind decide to grab that plane and shake it a little bit up in the air? And then they try to, they, they say, they're going to be funny then. They just do that as a warning because then they grab your plane and whoo, bring it down about a thousand feet in two seconds. You're telling me your stomach isn't still up there? You're telling me that you don't take a double take at the email from your boss with the subject line, bad news? Fear is real. Fear is being human. Fear is a feeling, and humans have feelings, and feelings were made by God, and fear is not always sinful, wrong, or bad. It's what we do with fear. That's the question. So let's look at what the disciples did with fear, and let's look at what, what Jesus did with fear. Now, and this is really interesting, too. So this is some of the recent research into emotions in general and feelings, including fear, grief, anger, loneliness, irritability. Researchers are now saying we should not categorize feelings into two columns. Good feelings... Like joy, happiness, bad feelings, fear, grief. Researchers are saying, we, no, well, let, let's not raise our kids and tell them, never be afraid. Never be sad. Don't look at a widow and tell her, you shouldn't grieve. If you're human, you have feelings, including grief, sadness, loneliness, irritability. You have them, okay? So the researchers, and I think there's validity to this, and even biblical 
validity to let's not put them in categories, good and bad, but, but what, what, what God gave us feelings to direct us. He gave us feelings so that we first notice what's happening, I, right? Like Brad noticed he was afraid, noticed he was angry, noticed he was in panic mode, and that led him to say, I got to do something about this. I have to get a hold of myself, right? So what does fear lead you to do? What we want is to see fear as a tour guide, or actually any feeling, but we're talking about fear today. See it as a tour guide and say, where, where are you trying to take me? Where is a place that I need to be that God gave this feeling to my bodily makeup, my physiology, my biology? Why? Where are we going here? And of course, the challenge is this. You can't trust every tour guide. <laughs> So, alarming fear pushes us. The, the alarming fear, like uh, something like I'm, like a shark attack. I'm afraid of the shark attack, right? Uh, like a uh, like a frisbee coming toward your head. What do you instinctively do? You close your eyes and duck. That's good. That's alarming fear, and it caused you to protect yourself. But we can't stay in alarm fear mode. If you're driving on I-35 and a rock shoots up and it's coming toward your face, you, you instinctively close your eyes and duck, and then you realize, well, there's a windshield in front of me and I'm in the car. You can't keep your eyes closed and stay ducked driving down I-35. That's an anxious fear is fear that hangs on, fear that ruminates. Fear that's afraid of itself. Fear that finds more things to be afraid of. Fear that worries. Fear that turns into anxiety. And anxious fear paralyzes us. So Brad experienced both in the shark attack, didn't he? Alarming fear caused him to do some good stuff. Anxious fear caused him to miss the wave that could have taken him to safety. You see the difference there? So both are true in the disciples' And in us, uh, fear and feelings, though, should always be your servant, not your master. So you have to trust them with conditions. Understand that your feelings should not be the master, but the servant. They, they're a tour guide, but you hire the tour guide. You don't just take any old tour guide. And so we want to be careful of advice like, Follow your feelings. I want to be careful as Christians of advice. Even this, listen to your heart. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. So you're going to listen to your heart, to the seat of your emotions, and tell you what to do when your heart is going to deceive you and be your tour guide to a bad place. So better than listen to your heart is, is lead your heart. But with what? That's where Jesus' words to Thomas and his disciples come in. Lead it with faith. Lead your fear. Don't let your fear lead you. But you lead your fear and you lead the way with faith. We need to understand two things about feelings and faith. Number one, 
um, where feelings come from and where they lead us. So I want you to remember this. Take this down, circle it on your, on your sermon notes, put it on your refrigerator, and you apply this three to 18 times a day to your life circumstances and experiences, and it'll help you process through them. You have to do this. Don't ignore your feelings. So understand that feelings are third in line in a sequence of events. The sequence of events is always, always thoughts, before thoughts, events. Events, thoughts, feelings, behavior. Events, thoughts, feelings, behavior. So, Here's the event. We have a bomber in Austin. That's the event. You can't control that event. Well, for the most part, you can't control it. Most events are that way. Some events you can control, most you can't. It's a cloudy, windy, 39-degree day, and you're at the air show. You can't control that, right? So what does that lead to? That, That event where there's a bomber in Austin, it's a cold day, a windy day outside, and you can't ride your motorcycle. That leads to thoughts. Like, I never get to ride my motorcycle. It's always bad weather, and there's always other things to do, and I... I can't enjoy the air show with my kids because they're crawling all over me and they're cold. And, and I can't go out of my house because there's a bomber on the loose. Thoughts. Events lead to thoughts. Thoughts lead to feelings. <sighs> Feel like this is the worst place to live. Feel like everybody's giving me so many things to do I can't enjoy my life. I feel like I'm going to get killed by a bomb. Feelings, and those lead to behaviors. Maybe you, I saw, I, I, I'm in Israel when this is, the, when the bomber thing is happening, but I literally, I'm, so I'm watching the news from across the planet, and uh, one news headline said that everyone in Austin was told to stay in their homes and to not leave. I don't know if that's true or media mayhem. I don't think it's true. But there's a behavior that's a result of feeling threatened by a bomber, which comes from a thought that bombs can kill people, which comes from an event that there's a bomber around. See the sequence? And that, that applies to... Uh, so events, thoughts, feelings, behavior. Um, so I come back. I, okay, honey, we, you know, the bomber's taken care of, good, but they're still looking for suspicious packages that might be out there, so be careful. So just this week, a package arrives on our doorstep, one, the size, shape, and delivery and sender of which I had never, ever seen before on our doorstep. Took a picture of it, didn't touch it. Took a picture of it, sent it to my wife. I said, this is a suspicious package. I took it upon myself to gently pick it up off my doorstep and get it in the trash. I'm like, what do I do with this? It's going to explode. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I don't want to call the police. That would be alarmist. So I put it in my trash bin, let the garbage man deal with it. And then I told her when she got home, I took care of it. I protected us. I put the suspicious package in the trash. She said, was it from... Yeah. Oh, that was a special piece of equipment I ordered. Oh, oh. 
See, so, right, my, my feelings and thoughts were not accurate and it allowed me to behavior that wasn't accurate for the situation. So it's, it's tricky business, folks. So that's the sequence. Remember the sequence. Events, thoughts, feelings, behavior. Those are all triggers to one another. Secondly, where does faith come in here? Um, don't be too linear with where faith comes in. In, in. in other words, don't say, oh, faith comes between events and thoughts. You have to have faith first. You, the event happens, and then you have faith, and then that forms your thoughts. Because sometimes thoughts are hard to control, and they just, they come. Uh, uh, Brad's thought, I'm gonna, the shark's going to kill me. Uh, okay, that, that can, that's valid. That happens. So maybe the faith comes in after the thought, so faith is fluid in this scenario. Let me give you some biblical proof that, that faith is, is fluid in the scenario of believers even being afraid. And before I do this, I have to explain this. There's two different kinds of, of faith. There's saving faith and sanctifying faith. Saving faith, you're either a believer or an unbeliever, that's it. You're either a believer in Jesus, you have all his spiritual blessings, you're going to heaven, or you're an unbeliever, you don't have Jesus, you're going to hell. That's it. Two options. If you are a believer, then you, then you go on living your sanctified Christian life before you get to heaven, and during that time between you and when you become a believer and heaven, your sanctifying faith does this but you're still a believer. You, it doesn't erase your saving faith. Thomas was not an unbeliever in the sense of saved or not saved, right? Thomas wasn't going to hell when he said, I just, I, I got to see it. I got to put my hands in there. The disciples weren't going to hell when they were in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. A storm came and Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. You have little sanctifying faith, not saving faith. Saving faith, hap, right? So make sure we understand this. When you have fears or doubts, it doesn't make you an unbeliever. It doesn't endanger your salvation in that sense. If you don't pay attention to it, it could endanger your salvation. But there's saving faith, sanctifying faith. So get this. In the upper room is John and Peter on Sunday night. Sunday morning, which disciples had gone to the tomb and seen it empty? John and Peter. And earlier in John chapter 20, it says this of John. When he saw the tomb, it says, he saw and believed. And then it goes on to say this. They, Peter and John, still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So they believed, but they didn't believe. They believed, but they didn't believe. Been there, done that? The women uh, saw the empty tomb, and, the, and Matthew 28 says, they hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. What? You're either afraid or you're joyful. You can't be both. Yes, you can. In this fluid, emotional state of being a believer, afraid yet filled with joy. You can be clinically depressed and have great faith. 
You can be addicted to painkillers and live with the kind of peace that other Christians envy. This is the fluidity of feelings and faith, okay? Don't write people off because they experience feelings or behave in ways that don't match perfect faith. Uh, One more. After a storm on the Sea of Galilee, um, fear can't oppose faith. It's not always the same, but here's what Jesus was in the front, was in the boat when the storm came, right? And, and then the storms come on the, on the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples are afraid, and they're seeing Jesus sleep, and they say, Jesus, don't you care? We're going we're gonna to all get killed. We're going to drown. And, and Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So they can conflict. It's not necessarily okay to stay afraid. But then in their fear, listen to this, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Their fear, they were terrified, and their fear was a tour guide to get them to ask, wow, this is mind-blowing. Who does this? Who is this man? This is the Son of God, and he's our Savior. See where their fear led them? It's their tour guide. It leads places. And how does Jesus deal with fear? He didn't in the boat say, when they woke him up, Jesus, it's storming. Can't you hear? Like the thunder and lightning that was, right, the other night at about 1130 midnight, right? It woke some of you up, not others. They had to wake Jesus up. There's a storm. We're going to die. What didn't Jesus say? He said, guys, I, I want you to believe. But, but he didn't say, dudes, chill out. And what I want you to do is I want, to, I want you to work on your junk, work on your stuff. When you have faith, you come back to me and I'll take care of business. Until then, I'm going back to sleep. Jesus didn't say that and he didn't do that. Jesus Bible says he he rebuked the wind and the waves. He calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee and in their hearts, even in their what-if moments, even in their panic-stricken fear is not just alarming fear, but anxious, ruminating fear. Jesus comes to them, and he calms their fear. And he he did the same thing to Thomas, too. Um, I want to talk about Jesus appearing to Thomas and the disciples now in in two points. Number one, Jesus' wounds rescue us from our fears. See, this is what happened in the, in the room then, in the locked room. Jesus' wounds rescue us from our fears. It had to be that way from the beginning, you know. When, when mankind fell into sin through Adam and Eve, and God said, I have a plan so that this doesn't ruin everyone spiritually forever, and my plan is that there will be a descendant of Eve, of the woman, and there'll be a serpent, and he will crush the serpent's head, though the serpent will bruise his heel. The the serpent, the devil, will hurt Jesus, even though Jesus will conquer the devil. Jesus, you're going to experience pain. 
Mary was told after Jesus was born, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Jesus had to receive wounds, and it was that plan from the beginning to rescue us from our sins. And then he did. He suffered and he died. And the Bible, even in the Old Testament, tells us by his wounds, we are healed. And so when, when Thomas says, I want to see his, even before that, Jesus shows, shows up to his disciples. What does he do? He shows his, he shows his wounds. Jesus isn't embarrassed by his hurt. He's not embarrassed by his pain. He shows his wounds to the disciples. And then all Thomas does is ask to see the same thing as the other guys. Battle scars. Do you men want proof? Do you want proof that you don't need to be afraid? Bring your fears here. Bring your fears here. You have nothing to be afraid of because of my wounds, Jesus says. Wounds that he can touch and he can point to because he's alive and he rose from the dead. That's, that's in John 20, right? Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, my Lord, you are, you Lord, you're the Lord of my doubts. I bring them to you. Take care of them for me. You're the God, the God of my fears, Jesus. You're not afraid of my fears. They're afraid of you. Jesus, you take them and thank you for your wounds. Thank you for forgiving me for inappropriate fears, for fear taking me, me to places it shouldn't, for fear making me not trust your promise. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me for your wounds. You're my Lord and my God. So Brad's paddling to shore. He's feeling like the shark could come up anytime behind him and grab his leg like it tried to before, and he's not there to watch it. He's just paddling and paddling and splashing with all his might to get to shore. And he, he takes a stroke back and sees over his right shoulder there is still another surfer out in the water. And he's thinking, did I not scream loud enough so that all the surfers paddled to shore safely? And here's this surfer, and he gets closer, and now his senses kick in again, and he sees blood on this surfer's face. And as the surfer is somewhat flailing in the water, he sees blood from gashes in the surfer's arms. And the surfer, almost try, seeming like he was trying to stay afloat, yells to Brad, Just go! Brad sees the shark circling that surfer. He pauses and hesitates, and the last thing he hears from that surfer as he's flailing for his life before he goes underwater, pulled down by the shark, is, Just go! He paddles like a maniac to shore. The other surfers are there on the shore. They pull him up, and he sits with his head on his knees, spitting out salt water, trying to catch his breath, trying to make sense of it all. And he hears the voice again, except it's not as urgent, and it's not screaming. It's calm and confident. 
that surfer's voice, and it says, peace be with you. And he looks up. It's that surfer, alive. And he says it again. Peace be with you. Saved by his wounds. And now his fear is dismissed by these words. Words, of course, of I'm giving you the picture of what Jesus has done for us. So secondly, Jesus' wounds rescue us and his words reframe our fears. So his words to Thomas. All right, let's, let's cover those because it seems like he's rebuking Thomas, like he's rebuking the, the disciples, but he's just giving them, he's giving them a bigger promise, right? He says to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who's that talking about? He's talking about you. Have you seen Jesus? Have you, touched, have you taken your finger and put it in his Scars and his wounds in his side? No. Jesus, in Jesus' own words of promise, he's saying to you, you can believe just as much as Thomas can. You have not touched, you've not seen, but you have my words, words of promise. And then the end of John 20 says this, these are written that you may believe that Jesus, you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let your fears take you to one place, to Jesus as your tour guide, leading your fears. And let his words of promise reframe your fears so that you inject faith into the events, thoughts, feelings, behavior, and get faith in there and reroute that sequence so that it leads you to Jesus. If you are going to make changes in your life, if you're going to, fi- if you're going to make a fresh start, if you're going to find a, a new place where you need to meet certain challenges, you cannot let fear paralyze you. You cannot let it have its way. You cannot let it be the tour guide convincing you that it owns you. It does not. Jesus' wounds rescue you from fear, and his words reframe it. So listen to him. Let him show you the way. Deal with fear. It's going to happen. But be ready to take that step of faith. And when you do, Jesus promises you that he is there. He's not afraid of your fears. So bring them along and believe. In his name. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus, for his courage, for his commitment to you, for his wounds and his words. Thank you for the disciples, for us knowing their story. Thank you for Thomas, because we are him. And thank you for the grace of your son, Jesus, who is so patient with his disciples and is so patient with us. Help us, God to better understand our fears, to accept and acknowledge and also address them by faith in your great promises and understanding that you will never leave us alone. Amen.